Mm-hmm. And the problem we're talking about here is the racial wealth gap. Yes. And we're going to talk about that, but we're going to get some knowledge from our uh, pseudo-Fed chairman here, Abdullah, <laughs> <laughs> Abdullah Muhammad. <laughs> ben Barnaki Muhammad. <laughs> right. Now, in the words of Flavor Flav, let me kick the ballistics, G. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So here it is. Do you know who Flavor Flav is, Justine? You better stop. I do. Uh, uh, oh, okay. okay you gave me a heart attack. <laughs> so, okay. I, I do. Who Isn't, is Flavor Flav? But from what? Like, uh, from what? Yeah. Okay. So wasn't he like on a show at some point? <laughs> that quit. Sweet Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord, take me now. Oh my gosh. Hold up. Hold up. Isn't he maybe like a little over like six foot tall? He's like very skinny. Oh my God. It's on a show. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Listeners, if you could see. I am embarrassing myself. <laughs> if you could see Andres and I about our heads are exploding. We're about to blast off our chairs. Oh, this is pain. This oh is this, this, this. You just grieved my spirit. The Holy Spirit was grieved right now and all that. Yes. Is he God not- is crying right now. God is crying. What is he? What is he? Flavor Flav. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> And we've lost control of the show already. We're off the rails. Okay. Flavor Flav is the hype man for the revolutionary classic hip-hop group Public Enemy. It's Flavor Flav, Chuck D, and the S1Ws and and the the DJ Terminator X. Guys, I was born in 92. When the clock, yeah, boy. Flavor Flav. He was born in 92. We keep forgetting that. I was born in 92, y'all. Oh, I am. Isn't he on a show? <laughs> no, and I was, straight. y'all, okay, here's the funny thing. I was very confident about my answer. I was like, I know. I, I have a pretty good idea about who he is. Yeah, he yeah. later became a reality TV star, yes, but that's not what he was known for. Okay. okay. Let's get back to it. Racial wealth gap. Racial wealth gap. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while Black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough-and-tumble podcast streets. All right, welcome back to the Christian Soldier Podcast, everybody. Today, we are talking about money and wealth. In one of the richest nations in the world, Black people who make up around 10 to 13% of the U.S. population only hold 3% of all the wealth. Black Americans rely more on insurance than inheritance to pass on wealth for future generations. The net worth of a typical white family is six times greater than the average black family and all we want to know is what's up with that because in a country that teaches if i can do it you can do it how do we dare i say think critically about this but also we want to talk about the mindset around money and how what we think about money may be holding us back as well and yes we are going to touch on the r word Reparations. Reparations. 
All right, so let's let's get right to it. Justine, what are your initial thoughts as we begin our discussion? Okay, so first of all, I found some data from 2019, and it said that the median, uh, like the the white median household, has wealth that amounts to about one hundred and seventy one thousand dollars. Which I mean, whatever that, like, depending on who you are, that could be a lot of money, maybe not a lot of money. And the way they calculated this number is savings plus assets minus debt. So again, Mm -hmm. median white family has on average $171,000, right? The black family, $17,600. In comparison to $171,000. Now get this, get this. Here's, Here's three more numbers for you. And we'll put in... We'll put the links to these these data in the show notes. But the average American household is just over fifty five thousand dollars a year. Oh my goodness! So the income now. So you just said it was one hundred seventy one thousand for the net worth of, of the average white family. Mm-hmm. That's one hundred seventy one thousand dollars of net worth, with a sixty five thousand dollar actually sixty six thousand so sixty five thousand nine hundred and two dollar median. Mm-hmm household income mm-hmm. for a white family compared to the median household income for African-Americans being $43,800. Oh my goodness. Yep. That's crazy. And so yeah. the gap, I mean, if you just do the math there, the gap is increasing. It is. It is. Because not only do you already have more money, but you're making more money. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and on the other side, you're not, and you keep not making more. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so, yeah, this is, this is going to be a good episode, I think. So Andres, so you asked the question, like, like what, what are our thoughts, initial thoughts right. as we think about this yeah. mm-hmm. for me? So this is going to be a very, a very needed conversation. Right. And I want to really, yeah, spend some time talking about like, how, how'd that come to be? Like, what's good with that? And also some conversation about, okay, so yeah, now that we know there is the problem, what's the solution to the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, but when I think about this conversation, I think about things that are frequently left out of this conversation. And that is things like entrepreneurship and side hustling and multiple income streams and that kind of thing. Because for me as, you know, an entrepreneur and a freelancer, and there's a difference, you know, but for me as an entrepreneur and a freelancer and as somebody you know, who at different points in my career had a full-time, a full-time job. Um, the conversation, any conversation about wealth and money must include that part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also think it should include a conversation about things like the personal development side of all of this. Right. And even looking at some of the objections that people might go into when they hear these stats and Things like what about personal responsibility? What about education? What about, <laughs> you know, those kind of things, right? Yeah. Because that's all part of it too. Right. Uh, okay. So I was just going to add one more thing. I saw, like, I found a very, very good quote by someone. It's on a Netflix documentary and I'll put it in the liner notes. And she said that, 
past injustices continue to breed present suffering, you know, so I'm hoping that also through this part, you know, like through today's episode, we can give some context, because I think it can be so easy to look at communities of color, or black communities and say, Oh, my gosh, like, why are you always poor? You know, like, why are you, you know, like, why are you constantly wallowing in this cycle of poverty? So I do think that given some historical context, hopefully breeds understanding. Yes, right. That's good. My my initial thoughts uh, when I started preparing for this episode is just the idea of inheritance. Um, and I think we already touched a little bit about this thing. You brought this up, Justine. What am I doing so my children and my children's children can get that inheritance? Mm-hmm. Because that is not part of our vocabulary. It's not part of my family's vocabulary. You know, uh, like I, I knew early on that I wasn't going to get much, if anything, from my mom or grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think, and, and I think that's an expectation for other families that, yeah, you're going to get, I mean, I didn't even have the expect- expectation that I was going to get a house. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You mean like a house from your parents? That's from, what you're you know, saying. Passed passed on, right? Yeah. You know yeah. that the expectation was, I never had it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and there's a lot of families of color that have that. That that's just not it's not the vocabulary. So, um, I I hope because I think I think this episode's shaping up to talk to two audiences separately. Mm-hmm. Um, for our white audience there's going to be a message for them and then for uh people of color um or black americans also there might be another message that we need to start thinking about this more and more and we need to start changing some some family trees mm-hmm. uh starting with starting with myself i'm preaching preaching to me as mm-hmm. well so yeah yeah very good all right so let's break this down. So speaking of gaps, you want to, so you want to grow one gap, but there's also, there's also another gap uh, between white family wealth versus black family wealth, right? How do we explain that gap between white family wealth versus black family wealth? Mm-hmm. And the problem we're talking about here is the racial wealth gap. Yes. And we're going to talk about that, but we're going to get some knowledge from our, uh, Pseudo Fed Chairman here, Abdullah, <laughs> Abdullah Muhammad, Ben Barnaki Muhammad. <laughs> right. All right. So first off, the racial wealth gap starts with you guessed it, chattel slavery. You know, and yes, we're going to go all the way back to slavery. Okay, here we go. So basically, so enslaved people were provided. You know, we provided the free labor that essentially created and supported the American economy. And to some extent, the global economy for more than two centuries. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we tend to start the slavery clock at 1619, but there were enslaved Africans here as early as the 1500s. But taken conservatively, the chattel slavery system, and yes, it was a system, lasted from 1619 to June 19th, 1865, or Juneteenth. 
So for, so for 246 years of free labor and even some after emancipation, the formerly enslaved people and their descendants received zero payment for 10 generations of dehumanizing, brutal, demoralizing, almost genocidal conditions of slave, la slave labor. Mm -hmm. Now, after that, we had another hundred years of sharecropping, Jim Crow and convict leasing from the end of slavery in 1865 until the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And before the CRA and the VRA, any wealth that we had in the black community in places like Black Wall Street or Chicago or during the Harlem Renaissance was because we had created our own economies because we were effectively locked out of participating in and the American. Right. And much less creating any wealth in the mainstream economy. So in the case of Black Wall Street, for example, uh, the white citizens of, of Tulsa were so jealous of the prosperity of the black community that they literally burned it and firebombed the Glenwood district. Mm -hmm. and now, that was all set up. So the wealth gap and the income gap, as we think about it today, continues because of these decades of laws and policies, and some of which are still in place today, that were enacted to deliberately and to systematically prevent people who've been racialized as black from building wealth. And the gasoline on, on the fire of the wealth gap was really the end of World War II, where there was, you know, this massive post-war economic boom with the GIs returning home. You know, the United States won the war and um, we came home, GIs came home and the baby boom happened, right? But we weren't able to take full advantage of the GI Bill that was given to those soldiers in return for them spending four plus years of fighting a war. You know, my grandfather was in that generation. Um, so there were other legalized barriers, including redlining, which actually started during the New Deal under FDR in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for those of you who don't, don't already know, redlining limited the neighborhoods in which Black Americans could purchase houses, and which in turn led to not being able to live in those neighborhoods where our home values appreciated. To the right. point that we could then use them for things like business investment, paying for our children's college tuition, networking opportunities, business opportunities, business ventures, that kind of thing. So that's what created the wealth gap. But then the question comes, okay, so that was all back then. What keeps it going now? And why in 2021 are we still talking about it? And I'll just say a couple of things and then I'm done. So even though nowadays there aren't specific laws in place to prevent those, those of us racialized as black from building any generational wealth, um, those social and economic factors still tend to hurt African-Americans more than white Americans. And so the Great Recession, for example, has had a greater negative impact on the net worth of African-Americans. And during the housing crisis, black Americans were regularly offered subprime loans, regardless of their credit score. I, me, Abdullah Muhammad, actually received a subprime home loan, despite the fact that I had good credit to justify a prime rate. Now, how do I know this? I know this because my mortgage company lost a class action lawsuit for the very thing that I'm talking about. And oh. I received the settlement check because my loan was one of those loans impacted that should have been given a regular rate, but was given a subprime rate. Wow. Now, more recently, minority-owned businesses have been less likely to receive 
coronavirus-related government aid from the CARES Act and African-Americans, along with our indigenous brothers and sisters, are at a greater risk of becoming seriously ill and or dying from COVID-19, in part because many of us still occupy jobs in sectors that put us at greater contact with the public, therefore having a disproportionately higher risk of contact contracting COVID-19. So Black folks are more likely to experience employment discrimination or be cut out from the job market altogether. And that is also a barrier to wealth. And they're more likely to be targeted by the police and incarcerated, as you guys very well know. They're less likely to have access to quality health care or even quality food. Most of the food deserts are in poor and black communities mm-hmm. or black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. And Which so, is what makes redlining so effective. Bingo. And so incredibly powerful. So all of these factors and more continue to contribute right. to the racial wealth gap. And the bottom line is this. When you have people who for centuries have been marginalized and disenfranchised in just about every way imaginable, what we have now is the net effect of not only incentivizing, but benefiting their white counterparts at every single turn. So the result that we have now, no one should be surprised about because the problem is that Far too many Americans believe the hype about who America is instead of looking at the actual receipts and then drawing logical and intelligent conclusions instead of emotional ones. Right. So good. So good. And, you know, um, so a lot of you have probably seen lots of stories in the news or even images on Facebook of black homeowners whose homes were valued at three times more when they asked a white family member or a white person to be in their home when the, when the home was being shown by the realtor. Mm-hmm. And so just that is a very tangible receipt. Right, right. Black homes, even if they're in very prime areas, are generally undervalued. And then um, just in addition to what Abdul said, you, you guys, um, in 1863, enslaved people were worth $3 billion. Think about that. They were not paid for their labor, but they were worth $3 billion. In 1861, the value placed on cotton produced by enslaved people was $250 million. Mm. So, y'all, when we say that this country was built on the, on, on the backs of African Americans, we are not being... Quite literally. For real. Yes. Like, yes. literally, this country was built by enslaved people. And everything nowadays, see, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Everything we see and everything that we call, oh, you know, like America being the greatest country or the richest country in the world is because of African-Americans. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we harvested the cotton, we harvested the, the tobacco, and we sold it to everybody. <laughs> and. Right. And even, even if, because I know people are like, well, gee, why are they always talking about slavery, right? Let's bring it back. Today, today, mm. a, a white homeowner is more likely, actually, I'll put it this way. A black homeowner is more likely to be shown fewer homes. I'm sorry, a, a black prospective home buyer is more likely to be shown fewer homes in lower yeah. price ranges and in, and in poor quality neighborhoods than, than their white counterparts 
who are similarly qualified mm-hmm. for the same loan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There was an article in which um, a lady um, basically hired or told her white friend to be there mm-hmm. for when people were showing her the black lady's house mm-hmm. and it went higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, um, valued, estimated at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. So the estimator came to the house instead of the black lady being there, her white friend was there and the estimator valued the house way higher right. than when she was there. Right. <laughs> because, and we talk a lot about implicit bias and, you know, and again, as for our regular listeners, you know, um, part of what I do is I do trainings in implicit bias. Our implicit bias and our implicit attitudes are just shortcuts. And white equals better and more safe. Right. Which translates into this neighborhood is worth more money. Mm-hmm. And is more it's desirable. Safer. And yeah, and, and it's either stable or it's or it's going up. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's downward trending, I don't know if I want to live here because the value of my house may not be the same. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it. So you, we started with slavery, uh, but let's bring it. Let's bring it to 2021. We say, well, okay, that's fine. But this wealth gap can be fixed. This wealth gap can be fixed with more education. This wealth gap can be fixed with uh, the the family being more stable and, you know, we, you know, not so many single moms and, and all these babies without dads and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But we've come to find out and Justine can break that down for us. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the first myth is that closing the racial gap, uh, is possible through education. Data shows y'all that on average, black households in the U S with people who have completed a college degree have lower keyword, lower net worth than white households headed by someone with less than a high school education. Think about that. A black family where the head of the household has a college degree, a four-year bachelor's degree has a lower is okay. Is more likely to have a lower net 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 worth than a white household where the head uh, has less than a high school degree. Why does this matter? It is only after completing an advanced post-college degree, so maybe like a PhD, a master's, a postdoc, that the median black household surpasses the median white household's net worth for a head with only a high school degree. So think about that. Black PhDs are competing with white people who don't even have a high school degree. And that's in the net worth side. On the actual income side, Mm. even with those advanced degrees, Mm-hmm. African-Americans and in particular African-American men, because for, for, because for black women, it actually equalizes. Mm. But for black men, black men that are similarly educated make on average 20 to $25,000 a year less if you have a bachelor's degree or an advanced degree than their similarly educated white counterpart. Wow. <laughs> wow. Sad. And again, Ben, we're going to put all this, all this stuff in the show notes because we want you to understand we're not spinning this stuff out of whole cloth. We're not pulling it out of our butt. This is an actual thing. 
real data. Another one that I found because I work in education and this one actually like literally crushed my heart. Only 50% of Pell Grant recipients will obtain their college degree within six years of starting it. So think about that. Hmm. Only 50% of people who receive a Pell Grant, which is basically free money from the government to go to college, will actually receive their college degree within six years of starting the said college degree. And here is why. If you think about who is receiving a lot of these Pell Grants, it's mostly students of color and students from low-income backgrounds. Sometimes you have immigrants and you have refugees as well, if they qualify for the Pell Grant, receiving it. Hmm. And it's because of a lot of institutional barriers that get in the way of these kids being able to persist and actually obtain their college degree. So even when we have financial incentives for education, all the institutional and the systemic issues in our four-year universities get in the way of students of color being able to graduate, which further widens the wealth gap. Mm. Yeah. So the thing with the myths is that we get pushback from the racial wealth gap saying that like, okay, that's fine. Okay. Slavery happening. And and we understand that it happened, but you can tie yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. Am I saying that right? No, Mm -hmm. it's, Pull yourself, yes, yes. pull yourself up by a bootstraps. Pull yourself up. Yes. Pull yourself, tie yourself up. <laughs> pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, so, because th- it's the whole thing. You know, my grandpa did it. I, you know, my dad did it. I, I'm doing it. Why can't you do it? Yes. And we ignore that whole history you just said, Abdul, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, like, you know, say, okay, people might say, Oh, well, you know, there's Jay-Z and there's Beyonce and they're, you know, they're billionaires, you know, and we got Obama and, you know, what's, what's up with all that? You know, can you do that? You know, but, but here's the thing though, the percentage of black households worth more than a million rose from about 1% in 1992 to a little less than 2% in 2016. Right. And, (laughs) and. Stop making the arguments from the exceptions. Right. Exactly. Right. So because because if that's oh. the case, if that's the case, let me look at a at a working class or middle class or poor white person. Say, well, wait a minute. Why aren't you doing as well as Warren Buffett? Why aren't you doing as well as Jeff Bezos? Why aren't mm-hmm. you? You can be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Quit sitting on your butt and go get out and do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Those, those are all exceptional examples. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's, now here's the thing. Even when, even when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, what we're saying is even when you do that, because, because I mean, I'm definitely a firm believer in, in let's not believe in the whole victim thing. Work ethic. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Absolutely. hundred percent. But let's tell the truth about the story. Right. So even when you you do work hard because because the the part of the the game of the 40 40 40 plan and everyone can re- can finish these sentences so repeat after me you go to school to get good grades grades and if you get good grades you will get a good job, job. yes and if you get that good job they will treat you right 
and you can continue to to work hard and do well and increase and increase until you retire the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow they give you the nice gold watch and there you go right right now if you're a woman you're going to make 70 percent. hello and if you're a black woman 60 about 64 percent now here now check this out I was going to wait till after liner notes to share this, but I want to share this now because it's, it's relevant to what we're talking about. So let's just say, for instance, for people who are similarly educated, right? And like I just said, so I'm somebody who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Now, to some extent, my, my background is a bit complicated. So, and I'm not going to share all of it. Just because I'm not going to be ready to put that out there yet, <laughs> but 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 what I will say is that my mother was a nurse, is a nurse, and probably has never made more than forty thousand dollars in her entire life. Raised four kids on that as a single mom when my parents got divorced when I was fifteen. Okay, now I went to school. I did what they told me to do. I got the education. I got a lot of it. <laughs> it was so good. I kept going back, <laughs> you know, and I also have a great job history. I have a fantastic job right now. And, and the job that I do right now, most people can't do. The skills that I have gained over the course of my working lifetime, most people can't do. At my job, I manage a $50 billion with a B, a $50 billion taxable portfolio with a multi-million dollar budget, and I do a whole lot of really cool, important stuff. All, even with all of that, even with all that bootstrapping, I still make, on average, $20,000 a year less than somebody with the same amount of education. And I'll give you even, I'll put an even finer point on it. The position I have now, I actually applied for the person who was my boss. I applied for their job. Didn't even get an interview. Didn't even get an interview. Now, that person came in. I applied for the job under that. I got that job. When the guy hired me, one of our first meetings, he told me, I hired my replacement. Mm. So, so if he knows I can do his job and I have an advanced degree and he does not, I'm older than him. I have more work experience. Right. Now he's got great experience. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing his experience at all. What I'm saying is he got the job. I didn't even get an interview. Mm. He comes in. I get the job. Hey, I actually hire my replacement. Mm. Right? Right. Oh my gosh. And yeah. guy made about $24,000 more a year than I did. Y'all, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. So, so this is the, and that's the income gap, right? And so we're talking about the income gap and the wealth gap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, these are very real things. Even when you work hard, even when you follow the plan that was prescribed, even when you do all that. Right. Right. You know, and something else to think about with the whole bootstrapping idea, 
depending on the family that you come from, especially given the history of America with slavery and what that has done to black families, mm-hmm. if you are a black person and you're wealthy, you're probably being called upon to support a lot of your family because, again, that generational wealth mm. does not exist, right? Yes, so, because for uncle, black, w- yes, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. So, uncle so and so is sick. Hey, can you send us some money? Or, hey, cousin so and so just made it into Iowa State University. Can you give us some money for the graduation party or to get them started at college? And so, there's all these financial demands on you when you yes. are. A black person. And again, like this is not standard, but like I think it's a very real reality for communities of color. Well, for white people, your money is your money. Yes. You know, like your money is what you make and you get to keep it. You get to spend it on your own family. Very rarely are your parents calling on you to send them some money, if anything. If yes. anything, it's the other way around. Oh, hey, you're done with college. I can give you X thousands of dollars for you to buy your first home. Yes. And so and so I really think like all these cultural things give us some context and also American history gives us some context onto the realities of black versus white wealth. Absolutely right. Because yeah, it, and and you said it and and again we'll put this study in the show notes too because researchers have found that exactly what Justine said, if you are a black person, you're a person of color, and you are wealthy and or successful, your income is both upwardly and downwardly and laterally distributed. Mm-hmm. You're helping mm-hmm. your kids, you're helping your parents and grandparents, and you're helping your aunties and cousins in them because everybody's got their hand in your pocket. Right. Yep. Yes. Yep. I, get, I get asked for money about twice a week. No joke. Oh, for real? Square business. Yeah. Cousin, can I, cousin, ah, uh, fam, uh, uh, and if I can, I'm happy to help. Right. But I got four of my own kids. Mm-hmm. I got my own wealth I'm trying to build. I got my own mm-hmm. retirement I'm trying to save up. You know, I got my own, you know, my mom is going to retire soon. And yes, my siblings and I will be helping to take care of her. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yep. And if you think about it, like if you're like, if you're sending money to people like twice a week, that adds up. Yeah. Like now, I'm not saying I said it. I'm saying I get asked. Okay. okay. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> I, I say no a lot. You know why? Because my money is tied to my advice. Mm. Mm. My good. money is tied to my advice. Okay. If, uh, say more. If I choose to give it, then I give it with no exp- I, I never loan money because, right. because right. I don't want to be mad about it not getting it back. Right. <laughs> If you can't give it away, don't give it Mm -hmm. now. But then to me, the long division of that conversation is, hey, what I'm doing doesn't really work for me right now. What you're doing seems to work. So can I have some, can I borrow some, will you help me out with? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to some extent, yes, I will. But I also want to teach you how to fish. Right, right, right. So, so that, that's what I mean. And if you don't want to hear me help you teach, teach you how to fish, don't ask for my bucket of fish. Preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I get called selfish and bougie and whatever else. You know what, though? Me and mine going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
You know, and listeners, I think this is one of those tools where, I mean, if you're in this type of a situation, sometimes you do have to say no. You have to exercise wisdom. And I've been up and down. I, you know, here's the last thing I'll say, and then let's go in the liner notes. But I've, I've been up and down. I have, I've lost jobs. I've Mm -hmm. had to rely on other people to, you know, for help. Mm -hmm. But I know how to fish. Mm -hmm. I know how to get it back. So, anyway. Let's go. <laughs> I'm doing somebody laughing. He's like, <laughs> you've seen it. You've been there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, wow. listen, this is my man right here. We go oh back. My goodness. Wow. Andre. So were you there when Abdul was, neg- was negotiating and being mean? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <Being mean. laughs> you do have to say no, y'all. And, and here's the thing. Like, I'm just going to say this, like for us as immigrants, I, my mom, she gets called like all the time from people in Kenya, like, yo, send me this. And I'm just like, guys, right. And okay. I am not kidding. I really think, uh, people in my country think that in America, money grows on trees. Like, Hey, like if I need money, I can just walk outside and just pluck the money from a tree. No, Mm -hmm. it's like, we work really hard for our money. So, right. Right. Okay. Everyone. Good conversation so far. We're kind of going in. Some of us get a little off the chain. (laughs) But it's now time for our liner notes. So this is where, as you guys know, if you're regular listeners, each of us will share a song, an artist, a book, a movie, a conversation, a piece of culture, just something that's giving us life. And so um, this is our chance to kind of take a a reprieve and have a bit of a woosah, a bit of a selah moment. And, And so we hope you're blessed by it. So. Justine, I'm going to go with you first. Like what, what's giving you life right now? Um, what's giving me life? You know, I already shared mine in the previous episode, the Juneteenth episode, which oh. we recorded. Listeners, if you're listening, we like we literally just recorded that episode. Um, so, yeah, I know. <laughs> behind the scenes, behind the scenes. <laughs> no, behind the scenes. That's right. So, so, your, so your, best virtual life, living room. Your, your best life in South Dakota. Yes, I was able to attend. Life. Yes, I was able to attend a very amazing wedding. Uh, my friend from Tanzania got married to a Burundian and the wedding was everything, y'all. It was so good. That's dope. So yeah, that is that is still giving me life. Okay. All right. That's cool. That's cool. That's okay. good. So my lighter notes. <laughs> I hope this is funny for everybody else because it's hilarious to me. So I read across a video on uh, Instagram, somebody that I follow, and she was mentioning that if you pitch down Anita Baker, (laughs) if you pitch down Anita Baker, she sounds like Michael McDonald. So for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald, Michael McDonald. Yes. Anyway, he's a legend. So so I think we could do this. So I hope we don't get into trouble for this. So Justine has not seen the video, has not heard the video. So we're going to play this for her. Yes. It, I, I was cracking up when I saw so it. I sent it to Abdul. So oh, we're going to play this for your viewing, uh, for viewing, for your listening. Enjoy. Oh, so if you're listening at a higher speed, it's time to put this in one X. Okay. Because it's not yes. going to sound right. Okay? Good job. Yes. Good, so good catch. Good if you're catch. one of those, because I do it, I do it at one and a half, you know, but fair warning, put this at one X just for this segment. All yes. Right. And Justine's response will be in real time. <laughs> yes. 
which is which is going to give me even more life. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Here we go. Let's see here. Oh, this better be good. Tonight, one of my friends said that Anita Baker pitched down. Sounds like Michael McDonald. I can't get it off my mind. I need to see if it's true. <laughs> She's dying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I okay, I will say this. If I knew who the McDonald dude was, I'd probably get why it's funny. Come on. I'm sorry. Okay. Hopefully a lot of our listeners are not millennials and they got how funny that was. (laughs) Cause Justine was looking and and she's looking, I'm like, she has no clue who this person is. No, no, but no, but I will agree that changing the pitch does have a tremendous impact. Uh, Here I thought like, Oh man, I want to have her dying. Sorry, dog. (laughs) (laughs) We call that Michael McDonald. That's yeah. That's that's strike two. <laughs> I know. In one episode. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, do I have any other cultural references that I'm going to fail tonight? Yes. I don't think so. But oh my goodness. Oh man. Okay. All right. So, Grace, you okay. are Andres. Yes. You are a music nerd. I love it. No. <laughs> music. Both both you and Abdul. I gotta say, I'm thinking. I mean, like I've always known that, but it's but it's really. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're 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 hardcore music nerds. Yep, I can big, tell. Big time, hardcore. So, in honor of Father's Day, yeah. I'm gonna say what's giving me life is my pops. Oh yeah, man. So my 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 father is he's he's no G. Like he's he's a real one. Like <laughs> Andres can tell you, he's he's a real one. <laughs> Yes, he is. We've never told a chicken story, have we? I mean, we're no, not we, going to tell it. No, we're not going to tell it. We, we, we can't tell a chicken story. Yeah, oh, my gosh. He's laughing now. <laughs> someday, maybe. Someday. Yeah, someday, someday. <laughs> but so, story. listen, y'all, my father, he's, yeah, he's, he's a leader. He's an entrepreneur. He is the most natural discipler of anyone that I've ever personally known. Like for real, for real, you know, he's, he's the kind of man who he, like, he grabs people and just like, okay, so come with me and do what I, you know, while I do what I do. Mm. And then he helps you understand what principles are at work wh- when you're doing the thing, you know? Right. And so he's part teacher, part protector, part sage, part warrior. Like I said, he's an entrepreneur. He's a visionary. Like my father, real talk. My father is the realest person I know. Uh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> there is zero doubt about that. Yes. And you know, he's, now it was funny when we went to visit him when we were in Dallas and uh-huh. he had uh, a place, you know, uh, but yeah, was, one of, <laughs> yeah, one of his businesses was like, was like us. <laughs> it was a barbershop one, right? Well, okay. No, no. It was a car wash. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, so, <laughs> The primary moneymaker was a car wash. Okay. 
but it's a business, you know, it's business in the black neighborhood. So it's, so it's multi-purpose, right. you know, so, so, so just like the immigrants do. So it's a car wash, right? But like they're the, in the actual building, it's the, the, the building is big enough, but there's a couple of things where on one side, there's a couple of like a couple of barber chairs and beauty chairs right. on the, on the, on the whole other side of the, of the, of the building or whatever is is a little storefront with like like selling you know, like a couple of clothes. Right. He's got he's got in the in the parking lot on the side of the on the side after the car wash area. There is he's selling like four wheelers and motorbikes. Oh <laughs> I mean, my god! Yes, it's all in one spot. All in one spot. Like you can go get your hair cut, your car wash, and get you a fresh outfit without ever leaving the same spot. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Multiple streams of income. As one, hey, it is and multiple streams of that's, income. That's that's the old man. Steps. Yes. Oh, but you, okay. Okay, you may not be able to tell the chicken story, but you got to tell the the the, oh, the shoe story. story? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we're there. This is a couple of years ago. So we're there. Um, just yeah, in Dallas for a conference. Andres and I are there for a conference, and um, we're sitting outside, just kind of talking outside the thing, and my dad is asking about my son. Like, hey, what what? what size shoe his grandson wear? <laughs> I'm like, and, and, and so I text my son, what size shoe do you wear? And so, you know, to, I told him the size and then we're talking and whatever. And then he goes, all right, um, I'll be right back. Like, like we just, we're just talking like, you know, so he goes and he's gone for like maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I'm asking him like, Hey, have y'all seen my pops? And he's like, Oh yeah. He went around the corner. Now, if you're in the <laughs> South around, around the corner, he's not around the corner. <laughs> He comes back and has his box and says, hey, would you like these? And, and uh, I should also say that this is also the day before my son's uh, 17th birthday. So he, can't, he comes back with this shoe box and is like, would he like these? And I'm like, oh, and I open, I'm like, yeah, he'd love these. So I had to break the box down, took them to my son on the airplane and everything and put it back together. And so my son could open it for his birthday. He went on a humbug and found a pair of like $350, $400 Yeezy Boosts oh sneakers that gosh. you can't find anywhere. <laughs> find like in 50. <laughs> you couldn't find them anywhere. He found them in a half hour. This is at the height oh. when those shoes were like hot. Yeah. They were hard to get. Yeah. yeah. This is like 2016, so. 17 or so when they were hard to get. He just, he just, you know, he's like, he he's just like, went and got some. listen, my pops is like, um, Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Redemption, like Red, he's a man who knows how to get things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the chicken story is a version of that story. Yes, it oh is. Which we won't tell, but Jesus, <laughs> Jesus I, I swear, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So Goodness. my father's never been in, like, I've never seen him code switch once. Mm. Ever. I've never mm. seen him code. I've never seen him put on airs. I've never tried. I've never seen him try to impress white people. None of that kind. That's just not what he does. You know? Yes. Yeah. And so I mentioned that because I had the opportunity to give my father his flowers while he's here. So mm-hmm. Saturday we did a zoom call. Um, there is my uncle has my uncle is a, is a pastor and he's on a national clergy council. And so for father's day, he wanted to interview his brother, my dad. And he also wanted to interview his kids. So he interviewed me and my, and my cousin who he grew up like brothers. So he's my, my big brother. And we're talking about fatherhood. And so 
it was just a dope conversation. Just really, just kind of my father talking about, you know, kind of how he how he raised us and his vision for that and destiny and discipleship and and to see the fruit of that in me and and my mm-hmm. cousin. And so that whole thing just gave me so much life. And again, I got in front of you know in a Zoom call with hundreds of people or whatever. I got wow. the opportunity to give my pops his flowers. Mm, that's hey, awesome. That's what's up. That's good. Yeah. That's okay. Great. You won. You won. Lennon. <laughs> you did. Someday though, dog, we're telling a chicken story. Someday. <laughs> Someday uh, we're telling a chicken story. Uh, all right. <laughs> stop. Stop. We, we got to keep going. I'm going to keep laughing. Okay. Otherwise. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right, let's get back to the conversation on black money and wealth. So as, as we talked about earlier, um, there's also a money mindset at play when it comes to money. How we think about money matters. So Justine and Abdul, what, what stories do you have about, more, about money? What stories do you have about, about money? Like, what do you think about when you think about money? Hmm. So there's a couple of things I think about. One, my default now is that money's a tool. Now I say now because I have spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and a lot of money in learning how to think about money and how to make money and how to build money and how to build wealth. So um, but before that, you know, when I come from my, my mother, you know, who was a single mom and that kind of stuff. And I come from, even though I, I, I had all the education, they all did all the work, the ends still weren't meeting. And so I'm sitting, I remember years ago, sitting on the bed with all, with all the bills, like, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to make these ends meet. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, I have, I have, I have young babies and they, and they want basketball and, and, you know, AAU and all this other kind of stuff. And I don't know how I'm going to put all this together. And so how I used to think about money was that money was a huge stressor. Right. Because there was never enough. And, and if you are, you know, and this is kind of a gendered conversation. So I'll say, so as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a provider, it makes you feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. And so for back then, thinking about money was, I don't want to think about it because then I automatically think about how there's not enough and it's just freaking stressful. Mm-hmm. And then, but now it's totally different. I have a, I have a different skill set. I have a different mindset and I know, I know and I understand that money is just the tool and that, yeah. and, and, and that I can put it in its proper place without, without thinking and worrying and obsessing about it. Mm. Yeah, that's very, very good. Uh, Okay, so I think what I want to do is I want to talk more about our community's mindset towards money. And when I think back on, you know, like when I was in college, you know, like you go to college, you get this humongous refund, especially if you leave on campus. By the way, if you're listening to this and you are going to college, do not take loans unless you really need them. Just don't. You will thank me later. Please run that do back. Not, run that back. Do not take student loans from the government or from your university or college unless you really, really need them. Because when I was in college, what would happen, y'all, is, and I, again, 
because I am a person of color, I'm a black person, I would notice this with my friends. You get this humongous refund. Here you are, like you're buying Air Jordans, you're buying these really expensive cars. And it's like, these are loans that you have taken out. (laughs) This is not your money. Listen, right? I was flossing. What I bought a five hundred dollars shearling leather World War II era <laughs> bomber jacket off student loan money. Mm-hmm. That you're still paid for. I think it took me seventeen years to pay for that damn jacket. <laughs> right. You know, and again, like I think, I think part of that is a mindset. And I was listening to, and I sent this to you guys, but I was listening to Umar Jackson, Doctor Umar Jackson, and he was talking about wealth, and he said. For black people. Oh, you mean Umar Johnson? Sorry. Oh, oh, Johnson. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. Yeah. And he said, for black people, because of our history with not having wealth and living in poverty, whatever we can do that gives us proximity to whiteness, we will we will do whatever that takes, right? And so, like all Mm -hmm. these symbolic things, like oh, you know, like I want the flashy car, Mm -hmm. I want the really cool clothes, I want the really expensive watches. When in reality, you cannot even afford your mortgage. Right, right. You cannot even afford your car payments. But you're driving your net worth. Exactly. You know, and so again, like, I think I think a big part of that is our mindset towards money. And Abdul, I love how you broke it down. Money is a tool. Money isn't just made to be a stressor or just something to be spent. It's a tool to empower us to, to access the lifestyle that we want and also leave wealth for future generations. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I didn't learn that from being around broke people. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, I learned the rules of money mm-hmm. from multimillionaires. I, I, I literally learned that from rich people. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was also blessed enough to have a network that put me in proximity with those people. Right. right. And, and, and every chance I got, I'm soaking up game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, for me, yeah. <clears throat> um, when I think about money, yeah. I, well, let me step back a little bit. So I don't come from money, right? You're always thinking about money. Like we don't have it. We got to pay the bills. We got to do this. We don't you know. So, so the main thought that runs in my head that I've heard uh, directly or indirectly is we don't have money. We don't have, yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have money. And you're you know? saying even today, that is your mindset you know, on I mean, I was, yeah, I was okay. raised around it, you know? So, yeah. so when I get my hands on it, I get very, sec- I, I just want to hoard it. Mm. Interesting. You know, fear of loss. Yeah. It's the fear. I, I have a fear. I have a fear of loss over it. Um, mm. I may spend stuff, you know, um, but I much rather see the number in the bank than anything else. Right. Because, because that's, that, that's security. That's security for me. You I, know? I, I feel you. I feel you. You know, um, not just from what happened to me last year, but also I've been in other times where, you know, um, um, let's see, I'm going to the supermarket and I'm buying white rice and I'm buying bread and peanut butter and jelly. And that's, you know, and, and pancake mix. Mm-hmm. And that was, and I need to stretch that out. You know what I mean? Yes. 
Um, I oh God, yes, yes. I so <laughs> you I know, do. but 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 focusing on our communities, I think we all have that kind of experience. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I I understand that that poor is not just a thing for black people, but yeah. right, but. Because of what we mentioned earlier, the history and the yeah. position that particularly African Americans have been put into, mm-hmm. there's a mindset around money too. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, it's not for you, right? Mm. That's you good. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're, yep. we're yep. not. We're we're you know. Not only are you thinking about money, we're supposed to be struggling. So the other mm-hmm. thought too is life is hard. Mm-hmm. That's the other one. And money is will always be scarce. As scarce, you're never going to have, you know, and, if, yeah. and, and here's the thing. Here's, uh, 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 I'm sure Abdul has heard this one, but there's an old saying, like, if someone hands you a million dollars, best you become a millionaire or you won't get to keep the money. Mm. Mm. So that's Jim Rohn. Yes. So, and I, I think a lot, I think about that quite a lot, actually. Yeah. If, if your condition around money that you're not going to have it and life is hard. How do you get out of the hole that you're in economically speaking? Right. You know what I mean? If, right. If, 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 if you don't, if you don't know about money, like what Abdul was talking about right. yeah. and you get a million dollars, you're going to waste it. You're going to waste gone. it. It's and, gone. The, and the fastest example is unfortunately athletes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Athletes Five and musicians. Years. Yeah. And, and lottery oh, winners. Really? And lottery winners. Right. Because we're not trained to think about money like more like rich families are, are thinking about money. So Tyler Perry, first generation probably, most likely. Mm-hmm. First generation. He's, yeah. he's a billionaire, right? Yeah, he is. Oh, you, you told is. us we, that. We talked about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you told us that. <laughs> you know, so now his children are thinking differently about money. Right. And mm-hmm. their children are going to think differently about money, way different than Tyler did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This right. is an old reality show with, uh, I forgot the name of it, Paris Hilton. And they were, um, yeah. she inherited, not inherited, but she's part of the Hilton Hotel, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. uh, family. And she, either she or a friend of hers, they were both rich, uh, Lionel Rich's daughter. Yo, Nicole Richie. Nicole Richie. Yeah. Like one of them didn't know what a Walmart was. Yeah. And they took a lot of flack for that. But I remember thinking like, well, if that's not in the vocabulary, right. If, that's Hey, they shop, yeah. Hey, if I'm going to Walmart, it's not part of your, <laughs> those words right. don't come out of your mouth and right. nobody around you says that, then you don't know anything about Walmart. So there's, there's one more thing that I want to share that goes back to the conversation, you know, about anybody who still might be thinking about, well, what about bootstrapping and pulling yourself up and, and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Because so much of us get what we get despite the odds. Right. 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 So let me give you a little bit of this. There was a, there was a major longitudinal study done. It was released in 2018 by Stanford University, Harvard, and the United States Census Bureau. Okay. And so 
what they did was they, as much as they could, and they did a couple different things. As much as they could, they they compared apples to apples, um, black men and white men from the same neighborhoods, similar education, and comparable wealth. And they also compared a pretty massive data set from nearly every county in the country. And here's what they found. And they did it over, over the course. All right. So, so they studied the entire U.S. population from 1989 to 2015. And they found several different things that are really interesting. That black men are more likely not to retain their wealth even under nearly equal socioeconomic conditions. So they study like, like, for example, wealthy counties in Maryland where black men and white men, or black boys and white boys went to the same school, similar, similar, whatever. Right. And they found that by the end of their study, the black men's wealth was going down while the white men's wealth was going up. And there's a, and there's a great graphic about this. This is, this is a big story in the New York times in 2018. Again, link in the show notes. That's um, very good because that's over 26 years. So you can clearly. That's yeah. an entire generation. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so again, the data set, this data set is used by every major demographic study in the known universe. Everybody looks at census data, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone looks at that. So, so, so Stanford, Harvard, and, and the Census Bureau, they, they went through all of that stuff. The punchline is this. Black boys raised in America, even in the wealthiest families and living in the most well-to-do neighborhoods, still earn less in adulthoods than white boys with similar backgrounds. Okay? People who've been socialized to be called white, who grow up rich, are much more likely to retain that way of life. So the social has a study. So black boys, again, raised at the top, are more likely to become poor than to stay wealthy in their own adult households. Mm. Um, and remember when I cited the thing about black men earning about $20,000 less? Mm-hmm. That came from this study. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the reason, right? Yes. The disparities have nothing to do with cognitive ability. They've got nothing to do with parenting differences. They've got nothing to do with, uh, you know, like they, they control for, fa- for fatherlessness in poor, in poor black homes, all that they control for everything that they can control for. And, and the phenomenon was still present, even in households that had present black fathers. And then they did some other data and found that 21% of black men raised at the very bottom were incarcerated, where black men raised, you know, so they picked like a snap, a, a couple snapshots on, and on any given day snapshot, 21% of the black men in the snapshot that day were incarcerated, 21%. Mm. And this, Which does and, affect the black family wealth, obviously. Yes. Now, again, like, like I said earlier, it's not true for black girls. Mm-hmm. Black girls and white girls from families with comparable earnings attain roughly a similar individual income as adults. Mm-hmm. And for poor kids, the pattern is reversed, which means that the studies showed that most poor black boys will remain poor as adults while white boys raised in poor families do better. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yes. So then the question becomes, if we're talking about wealth and we're talking about income, other than jobs, what are some ways to build wealth and income? Yeah. Yep. Wage versus profit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned it. I mean, the, the best line of defense for us is entrepreneurship. Yes. Okay. Um, now, the thing is, like myself, a lot of us are not natural entrepreneurs. Now, that doesn't mean you can't learn um, the skills needed to do something and bring extra. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, a lot of people can still learn about um, investments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you still want to put yourself in a position where the money's working for you. Right. So, so although the numbers that we have been given today on the show seem overwhelming, um, at the end of the day, though, there is still an opportunity. I mean, right. we are not in the same place as uh, our ancestors were a hundred years ago, right? Right. I mean, to to be fair, yeah. Uh, we have this thing called the internet that is <laughs> quite simply making a lot of things fairer, and it's knocking down a lot of walls, right? Um, so, but I believe, especially for myself, a lot of this work it's is back to what we were talking about. It's in the mind. Right. You know, a, a lot of this is, you know, 90% of the battle is a mental battle. Right. First of right. all, you know, um, this is for me. This is not for somebody else. You know, oh, that was magic. Well, magic is special, you know, <laughs> or that's Shaq or that was Jay-Z. Well, I can't, I can't do that, you know. Right. Um, but all of us have some kind of version of something that we can do to begin the process of breaking that cycle of time and money. Right. Um, and whatever, whatever that hustle is, whatever, whatever that is, was, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say freestyle, but that's not the word. Um, Freelance. Freelance, freelance, you know? Yeah. yeah. And just start from there and, and, uh, and invest the little money and that little money gets into more money. And Mm -hmm. here's the, here's the thing. The biggest asset, like for you, Justine, biggest asset you have right right now is your time. Yes, That's, which is which is actually interesting because a lot of times I feel like I do not have time, but yeah. I know I do. I just need to, yeah, yeah. Meaning, meaning, meaning that like putting away something will start compounding that money, right? And then it gets into serious money, right? The sooner that gets done, the you know the Better, more yeah. the more there is. Here's, mm-hmm. here's what's funny. And people without kids get offended when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love to hear folks who don't have kids and are by themselves and only have one job talk about how busy they are. It's so comical to me. <laughs> because the future awaits. Now, here's the thing, though. I mean, whatever time we have, we'll fill it up, right? And right. so, yeah. and, and so I'll That's never say that, that people who don't have kids or whatever aren't busy. It's just a matter of what you're busy doing 
are things mm-hmm. you get to choose every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's the big difference is that, yeah. is that right. the demands on your time are self-imposed. Yes. Right. 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 So, so, but when that comes to, when that comes to income and money, I have a, I've come to the personal conviction that single people should not be broke. Oh yeah. That I agree with 1000%. You should not be because. Especially once you're done with college. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. And there are three big reasons. Actually, let's say two. The internet and smartphones. Mm. (laughs) Like we have, and listeners, you can't see this right now, but I'm holding up a phone to the screen. (laughs) We have the sum total of the world's information in our pocket. Mm-hmm. But it also means that anything you can do to make money, now making money isn't, and well, I'll put it this way, anything you can do to sell. Now, I just said sell, and I know some of our listeners were like, ugh, they, they just cringed because they have a wrong view of what selling is. Good selling is a mutual exchange of value for dollars. Mm-hmm. If you go buy Starbucks tomorrow, understand that Starbucks sold you something. So don't feel bad about that. That you wanted. You wanted it, right. So, so find something to exchange value for money in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that exchange starts with a transaction and it goes something like this. Here, I made this and I think you'll like it or better yet, Find out who you're marketing and say, here, I made this for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they like it, they exchange time and, and or dollars. Right. And so there, there are plenty of ways you can do that. For example, with, with your cell phone, like you, there are plenty of folks who, are, who have YouTube channels that, that they have monetized with just using their cell phone. There are people that, you know, millionaires, right? They're making millions. Yeah. Now, and, and there are. You can do, uh, so an entrepreneur is somebody who takes all of the risk for business venture. So they put up the money, they put up the time, it's their baby. That's, that's an entrepreneur. A freelancer is a bit different. A freelancer can do a side job. It's still time for money, but it's bulk time. So it's, you know what? I'm going to do this website for you. I'm going to do this thing for you. Right. And people and people can you there are sites like Fiverr.com. It's like a freelance, a freelancer marketplace. You know, you can you can build a website on Wix or you know Squarespace or any of those kind of website builders, right? You can find something that in, in your orbit that's missing. Mm-hmm. See what skills you have if you can fill it. Like the best way to earn some great side money is scratch your own itch. Exactly. Right. Another, yeah, another very common one. I know for my generation, um, if you are, and I guess anyone really could do this. If you're someone who loves clothes, you know, and like you have a bunch of really good clothes that you're not wearing anymore, you can sell those for a good deal. Like you can sell them on Facebook Marketplace, you can sell them on Instagram, Poshmark, lots of places, or you can actually turn that into a full blown business. I know people who, Yes. Their full-time job is they go thrifting, they find very, very good deals, then they resell yep. those clothes at a good deal. And that's how they make their income. And that's a business. Listen, there, you know? yeah. If 
if you're not making, so if you, if you have a job and you want to make more money and you have a passion about something, but you're not making any money, you're complaining about the fact you don't have any money. You don't have any money because you're not thinking creatively enough. That's the first part. The second part is you got to execute on something. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so I scratched my own itch in that I was sick of going to, to organizations and companies or whatever and seeing how people did equity trainings all wrong. I mean, all wrong. Well, why don't you do it? Okay, I will. Or, I mean, you, you, can, you can even try things like network marketing. Now, network marketing, direct sales gets a huge bad rap Sometimes, sometimes justified, like they earn it because, you know, like you're hitting people over the head with a business opportunity and, and you screw it up. <laughs> right. But, but I have a lot of, you know, and I was a network marketer for 10 years. You know, I have a lot of respect for network marketing when it's done right. Mm-hmm. If the product is right and, and, and the product is something that I can't get somewhere else mm-hmm. and that I'm not getting taken advantage of. And that's not more crazy expensive. I just might buy what you're selling. Right. I don't want to sell it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not anymore. But, but at the same time, I understand what the transaction is. Mm-hmm. If you're doing direct sales network marketing kind of stuff, you are basically the commercial. Mm-hmm. That's actually a very good side hustle, I think. Yeah, well, network, it, it, yeah. It, can, it can be. It can be for the right person and the right, yeah. But yes, for the right person and the right opportunity. And, the, and there's lots of things that should align, right? Mm-hmm. Everything right. ain't for everybody. Right. Right. And so, and so it can be. But what I will say, what I will say is that some of the, some of the things you can learn about yourself in selling like taking rejection and what, like you learn kids, so kids, marriage and selling. You learn more about mm-hmm. yourself than anything else. Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Y'all. So like, this is making me laugh oh. because <laughs> my first job, I just thought about this. <laughs> Cutco knives. <laughs> Was it really? How did you know? How about you? Because- how about you- so many, no, you haven't, but so many folks with first sale job is Cutco knives. I don't oh know why. Oh my gosh. Yep. <laughs> Okay, and y'all, That's I was awesome. so excited. Do you know how many knives I sold? You guys want to get? <laughs> I sold two. <laughs> hey. And one was to my mom because she felt so sorry <laughs> she for felt me. Bad for you. Yes. Not for me. Yes. Not for me at all. But man, uh, but listen, I promise you, there, there are, <laughs> there are. If, if you do those kind of things long enough, it's something I call invisible results. Hmm. There are some skills you're picking up that you don't even know you're learning. Communication, negotiation, y'all. Yep. Yes. Oh. Yeah. If you don't make a if you don't make a full blown career out of that, um, there's so much that you learn in that that you can apply other places. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's so many skills that you can learn from from that that yes. you can just take. They can't take it. They can't take it away from you. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the last thing that I'll say, because because we're talking about a couple different things. You know, we're talking about. So on the one hand, I will say that the wealth gap is real. The disparities between even with education and everything, because of things like implicit bias and structural racism and all that kind of stuff, those things are real. 
However, there is opportunity everywhere. Right. Everywhere. And even if, so even if I get into a position where, you know, I'm an executive and I'm making 20 grand less than my whatever, I'm still closing that gap. (laughs) You know? Right. So yeah, with I still had extra. Yes. I still had to get in the room. Right. Mm -hmm. I still had to have the skills. If they're paying me less, yep, I'm gonna find I'm gonna find out that. But I still had to have the skills to get in the room. Exactly. Right. And so and so you still and that's where the personal responsibility piece comes in, right? Like you still don't, you know, I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines and say, Well, man, black people make twenty grand less than white people. No, 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 no. Right. I'm I'm going for everything I can. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Despite all that other stuff. That's right. I'll figure that out when I get there. Mm -hmm. And and I will not be denied, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and complain about it. Right. So this this is a this makes actually for a good transition to our last topic here, and it's the reparations topic. So some have suggested that reparation is the only way to close that racial wealth gap. And we've already said it. The gap is so big that even doing all the things that we've talked about, it's not mm-hmm. going to get, it's not going to decrease now mm-hmm. on an individual basis. Yeah. Like you were just talking about, you know, you can start your own business or businesses and you can do that. But as a, as a group, as a collective, because of the systemic racism and all the mm-hmm. systems in place, and we're living in the echo, that echo of what was done so long ago, that reparations seem to be the answer to closing that gap. And I've heard numbers like to close the racial wealth gap, it would cost around $13 trillion. Mm-hmm. I've heard like that's around 300000 for every Black American. So how do we feel about reparations? Now, I'll, let me start because I started thinking I get the idea of reparations, but at the same time, it didn't seem fair. Who, who does it not seem fair to or for? Well, I didn't see it as, as fair. Like all of a sudden, you know, one day you had 17,000, let's say, and now you have 300,000. Mm. Now, again, mind you, I used to think that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but reading the articles in preparation for this show, I kept thinking about the game Monopoly for some reason. <laughs> Monopoly mm-hmm. just came up for me. Yeah. And I was thinking of, let's say the three of us are playing and you and I, Justine, we're playing by the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And somehow we managed to keep Abdul down and we didn't give him as much money that we get to have. Mm-hmm. And, or houses, yeah. Yeah, and we got around the board a few more times and we've already collected this X amount of money more than Abdul had, Mm -hmm. you know, what's like the fair thing to do once you realize, or somebody points out, Hey, you two, that's not fair for Abdul. Like, what do you do? You know, give him extra rounds to allow him to catch up. You know what I mean? You know, and I was thinking like, if if we were kids, if we were four or five year olds, you know, and somebody told us that, Oh, this isn't fair, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what kids would do is like they just start the game over and make it fair. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're not tied to the money. They're just like, right. oh, this isn't fair. You know, so let's have everybody play, a, you know, but we can't, yeah. we can't reboot the United States of America. Well, here's the thing about fairness, though. 
And because people often use that, it's not fair when talking about reparations, right? Anybody who has kids knows the axiom. If they haven't heard it, they get the concept that fairness is not sameness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so. But I'm using fairness in what everybody thinks is fair. Yeah. Mm. So are you using the fair as, as a synonym for just? I'm using, yes, yes. In my own thinking. Yeah, I was thinking like, um, well, no, no, because I was thinking that, it, like, getting a little bit more educated, actually, for, for the preparation for the show. It was mm-hmm. like the pull yourself up by the bootstraps uh-huh. thinking. Huh. Really, you know, that there's something that I don't know that once I know it, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if study after study, if math is telling you that you're not going to get there, Right. As a group, as a collective, again. So, mm-hmm. you know. Even with all the education, with all the home ownership, with all the entrepreneurship, with all the work yeah. ethic, still the gap is. You know, there's so many, you've been lapped so many yeah. times that you can't catch up. Then, you know, then reparations seem mm-hmm. like a, at least a, a worthy topic to really, really explore. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so here's the thing for me. Like, I believe in reparations. I believe they should be, they should be given the extended. However, I do not believe that should be just one big old check. Because like we said, with athletes and lottery winners and musicians, mm-hmm. you know, they get that check and in 20 minutes it's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know what to do. With, you know what I mean? And so yeah. this isn't just about, hey, you robbed us of money. This is about you robbed us of a chance to be in the game. Right. So affirmative action was supposed to be a reparation, a, a, a step at repair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the people who benefited the most from that repair are white women. But affirmative action was designed to be a repair. It wasn't designed to be a, it's not a quota system. It's not, you hire somebody who's less qualified over the more qualified white person. That's not what that was. And so I actually like, um, like Tyler Hasekos does like a case for reparations kind of thing. And, um, but the Brookings institution actually, you know, it's a, a think tank in Washington, DC. I like their approach to reparations. Um, and and it's, it's one that I agree with and because it's, it's comprehensive and it's, it's, uh, it covers several different aspects. So one aspect might be an individual payout of some kind to descendants of enslaved people, right? Because that changed the direction of my family tree, mm-hmm. right? Now, um, so there's, there's, there's individual payments. There is things like um, college tuition, either mm-hmm. free or reduced. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, and so like the Democrats have been talking about like the free community college tuition HBCU. for all, right? Yeah. Or yeah, sinking a lot of money in HBCUs, student loan forgiveness for descendants of enslaved African Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that Harvard University did a couple of years ago, I don't know if they still do it now, but if you are a person of color and you get into Harvard, like you get the test scores, you get the grades, and you actually get accepted on the merits of your of your grades, you can go for free. Mm-hmm. That's a reparation. 
you know, um, um, some kind of like, like, like uh, down payment grants or, you know, like uh, neighborhood revitalization funds that are grants for depressed areas in, in, in central yes. cities. Yep. You know, um, business grants. But yes, business grants for like startups and and some of those kinds of things. It's not just a check. It is let's look at all of the areas where the system is broken and repair the thing in that system. So, if you are a judge and you are you are sentencing disproportionately um, black people to to more strict sentencing that kind of thing. Well, if you're a judge, your cases need to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. And if that's found, you either have some kind of sanction or you're disbarred. Mm-hmm. And the people for, whom, who, for whose lives you've changed, they get a commutation of a sentence or some other kind of consideration that offsets the fact that you sentenced this person wrongly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, like, you pick the system and and it's not a blanket fix. You pick the system, you find out how that system is broken and you do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, so, so, so that to me is the reparation. Like it's, it's, it's a thing that benefits, it's, it's, it's a thing that addresses the issue that people are committing and addresses the, 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 the discrepancy for the recipient. Yeah. That's really True. good. True. What do you think, Justine? You know, I totally agree. And I think also in the context of America, reparations are not new for us. Because I think when we talk about reparations, it's like, oh, why do black people want this? But America does have some form of history for reparations. For Native Americans, they received land and billions of dollars for various benefits and programs for being forcibly exiled from their native lands, Right. right? Obviously, it was not enough, but that was a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. For Japanese Americans, $1.5 billion was paid to those who were, who were interned during World War II. If you have not heard about the Japanese um, intern camps, yes. read up. Very good. Yep. So reparations were given for that. Uh, the Marshall Plan, it helped to ensure that Jews received reparations for the Holocaust, including making various investments over time. Over so again, time. Mm, over time, right? Kind of like what Abdul was saying, you know, kind of, kind of like a staggered process. So reparations are not new, but in right. the history of America, only Black Americans yeah. have, have not received the repair right. for the wrongdoings right. that were done. I also think that, that reparations should also start with anybody who's getting a check has to do a, a mandatory financial literacy course mm-hmm. and have and have a financial coach, uh, a coach, because because if it's a, it's a, if it's supposed to offset, I'm not going to give you 171 thousand dollars so you can go buy a bunch of sneakers, right? Exactly, and a bunch of Yeezys, and also and also part of what slavery did, it has denied us the opportunities to learn about wealth because we're yes. not surrounded by wealth, right? right. Yes, and right. so I think part of part of the you know like the reparations yes. is giving us the tools. And sorry, I keep saying one more thing, but one more thing, a a public federal apology for slavery issued by the United States Congress. Mm. Yeah. yeah, good luck with that. I'm just saying. That's the thing. This, this truth and reconciliation. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there were so many missed opportunities. So many. 
for this country to have done the right thing. Mm-hmm. And every, it's like almost every single time that the opportunity presents itself, the country just chooses something else. Right. Even now, that's what we're doing with Juneteenth. Yeah. Yeah. We have right. the George Floyd bill. <laughs> right. We have the the Lewis bill. Those are not being signed, but we get Juneteenth. Right. You know, you know what, what I mean? I, I fundamentally believe, even with the experience of slavery, I fundamentally believe had we done things differently after World War II, mm-hmm. we would, World War II was an etch-a-sketch. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity to completely start from scratch. Yeah, true. The American right. middle class yeah. and the suburbs and all of that, because oh. we had the depression and we had the world war and we came out of it way stronger than we were when we went in. Right. Uh-huh. We came, we, we, we went into, we went into world war two in the depression of the dust bowl and we came out of it, a global superpower and we effed it up. Mm-hmm. So I fundamentally, I fundamentally believe had we not misapplied the GI Bill, had we not done red line, so just those two things. If we didn't misapply the GI Bill and if we didn't do redlining, well, I believe be? it would have changed things within a generation. Mm-hmm. Without a without a doubt, without a doubt. It, I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite proverbs is uh, three twenty seven. It's do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Mm. And like I started saying, you know, we withheld good mm-hmm. to those to whom it was due. Yes, and we, we did. Continue to, to withhold. And we continue to do it. Yes, we did. That's unbecoming of a Christian nation. Mm. Or one that says it is, but that's a whole different podcast. That's a whole different right. podcast. That's right. a whole different podcast. So as we wrap up, guys, like, what do we want the audience to remember? Abdul, let's start with you. Um, what I want the audience to remember, regardless of your designated race, is that even in this land of immense opportunities, those opportunities are still systematically held back for some people. Even though we have the freedom to access them, we still access them not to an equal degree. The second thing I want I want listeners to, to think about and, and, and to do, if you're scratching your head wondering how you can make some more money, the only limits are your imagination and your personal gumption. And then the third thing is this, reparations, like I just said, should not, should not be just a check. We should repair the system and repair the damage to the people the system has impacted. In the biblical spirit of reparations, that's what that would be. Right. Uh, my, my thing is what was done to the enslaved Africans and then to its descendants was just plain wrong. You don't need to have a degree in history to know that. I think all of us know it. And right. for a group of people, it brings up too much pain. So we just keep brushing it aside. Right. Um, what I would want an audience to remember is that this requires neighborly love to fix. You got to actually care when you say that you love your neighbor. This conversation requires you to act on that. Right. Too many people have been saying the same thing now for centuries and nothing changes. 
and we are not in a position to change things yet. It's getting there. If it's not going to happen from helps of allies, the math is going to change mm-hmm. at some point. That's good. Jay? Um, I would say for me, I hope this changes how we see the world. You know, again, like I think, and I know that I used to be guilty of this. It can be so easy to look at a community and think, why are they so poor? Why do they spend their money so unwisely? They're always renting. They don't buy homes. Why is that the case? Um, They're always taking out student loans when they go to college, right? So I'm hoping that this changes the narrative in terms of generational wealth and who has had access to that. And if you are a person who has access to policymaking or if you have access to rooms where all these things are being done and all these laws are being made, hopefully you can use your influence to, um, to, to make a few reparations, right? So just a very tangible thing. If you work in academia, what are some things that you can do? Like in addition to scholarships, what are some things that you can do for African-American students Mm -hmm. to allow them to be successful? Can you give some financial literacy classes? Those would be great. Can you give some grants to help with financial literacy or just extra scholarships for black males? Whatever it takes, we can do our part to hopefully begin yeah. to, to turn this Titanic around. Yeah. Well, that does it for us for now. As always, if you like the show and the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, smash the like button, drop us a review. Don't be afraid to do all three. That's going to help us find, help people find us and hopefully join the community because we can always use more soldiers. And y'all, if you have questions about anything we cover in the show, you don't agree, topics you want to see us do or discuss, hit us up at face, on, on our Facebook uh, Christian Soldier group and at hello at christiansoldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. And I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all, keep the faith. Peace. Paz. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.